1: Um, my name is Rich Schmidt, here with Daniel Fay. It's February 24th, 2021. where are his farm in Yamhill. Um, so, my name is Daniel Fay.
2: I was born and raised in Switzerland. I grew up on a farm in a town called Weinfelden. And you guessed it, it's uh, German for wine field. <laughs> and uh, my parents, in fact, I'm a third generation grape grower. So my grandparents took over a dilapidated vineyard in the 1930s and it was uh, devastated by phylloxera and economically just run down. And they were working for for a winery who owned the estate and kind of got it back in shape. And then uh, my parents took over in the 1960s, early 60s, and they did that until about 2001 when they retired and they still took care of their own vineyards until about 2011 when they completely retired. And uh, so growing up on a farm, in hindsight actually was a privilege. Although we were working and we were working hard. My dad was somewhat of a tough guy. <laughs> but he, uh, he taught my sister, my brother, and myself work ethics. And he taught me the, the basics of growing grapes. So in the last 20 years here in, in Oregon I I could always say that whatever I asked my people to do I was able to do myself and I can lead by example and it's not just walking around in uh, clean clothes or driving around in a pickup and barely lowering the window and say hey guys how are you doing but working alongside them and keeping up the pace mm-hmm. and production mm-hmm. so We were growing grapes, we were also growing apples, and my dad also had a uh, a sow piglet operation on the side, so it was a mixed farm. He was also a certified master vintner, meaning that he was allowed to educate young Swiss how to grow grapes. It's an apprenticeship that lasts three years, and they spend one year at a time at different vineyards and they live with the family and they work alongside the host. And the, the big benefit is they, they le- really learn the ropes mm-hmm. of growing grapes, the basics that I sometimes have seen in Oregon being done wrong even now. Mm-hmm. And they also learn how to work. So we're talking about 16, 17, 18 year olds, fresh out of school and they have to work 10 hour days, 55 hours a week. But my dad also always told me just because we have employees doesn't mean that my kids, talking about my father's kids, are gonna be lazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thank them both, my mom and my dad. I mean, they prepared me for life. They, they taught me some grit that really uh, helped me out a lot mm-hmm. in the last 50 years. <laughs> so, but they also encouraged me to, to pursue a higher education just to keep more doors open. I graduated with a Master of Science degree from the Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich, and that was in 1994. Before and in between, I also uh, served in the Swiss Army, like every male, and I uh, was serving uh, in the rank of a lieutenant, first lieutenant, And looking back, the Swiss Army taught me what I needed to know about leadership. There is no other way than leading combat troops, although not in a war zone, but in training. Um, Leadership, as it implies in the word, has a point and a direction. You're in the front of people and you're leading that way. You can read all the books you want. If you cannot apply it in the field, if you cannot convert it into action, it doesn't do much. And I've seen it both. I've seen so-called leaders who failed miserably and others I was ready to go through file. Um, As a part of my education, In 1992, I had the opportunity to go to UC Davis for several months and work in Dr. Cleaver's lab group. So we did uh, trials, field trials and and lab work. And I had also plenty of time. Uh, It was a fairly easy life. I had plenty of time to uh, travel and kind of do some adventures. Mm -hmm. But that's when I kind of, you know, started thinking about uh, the United States and and other opportunities. Looking back, I could have lived a life of milk and honey in Switzerland. I had a good job. So after I graduated, I had a teaching position at an ag college, actually before I graduated. And my mentor who helped me with my thesis said, no, you can't have a job. And I said, hey, there's no other way. This has to work. It's all on me to, to make it happen and you know, I can deal with stress and pressure. Don't worry about it, it will all work out. So, I teach a position at the egg college. Um, so these are apprentices, future farmers, mm-hmm. who came to school. So they were working on a farm for four days a week and they came to school one day a week. And I taught them uh, basics like biology, soil science, chemistry, but also animal husbandry. So, looking at the cattle here, I uh, learned in theory first, what I did apply later on in practice. Um, and I, I enjoyed the, the teaching part. I was in my 20s. I had a close connection with the teenagers, mm-hmm. but I realized this is not what I wanna do till I'm 60. And it was also in a state-run environment. Although they were talking about incentive or performance-based compensation, it was more like Mm seniority-based. That's not an environment I thrive in. Mm -hmm. And now compared to the company I'm working for now, it's all Mm merit-based, it's not Mm seniority-based. Switzerland is a great place to live. It's a great place to grow up in. It's a great place to visit. But a lot of rules, a lot of regulations. I understand why, you know? It fits six times into Oregon. The population is double compared to the state of Oregon. And when you have more people, it takes more regulations. Why? Because you always have 5% of idiots who don't have common sense. And that's what the rules are for and regulations. And then they become irrational, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I could have never accomplished there what I have accomplished here. Mm -hmm. Purchasing land, building up a farm, you know, and and do it in a respectful way.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. So, also I have to tell you that uh, the grape growing business my parents were in, I can tell you they made some money. Although it was hard work, but they made some money. In the 70s and 80s, it was a great business to be in. In the 90s, I can see the train going the wrong way. Well, the money was on the winemaking side, on the winery side and not in the field. And again, I'm thankful that my parents encouraged me to go for a higher education. I don't think they expected me to say, hey, adios, I'm I'm leaving, I'm going to the United States. But now they accept it and, and they're happy for me. So in 1998, I packed my stuff. And I immigrated to the US. And a lot of hope, some prayer, and some ignorance. (laughs) Because if I knew how many obstacles there are, it's it's always good in life not to know what's ahead of you. Because you deal with them one at a time and you you go as a person, you overcome them, and and learn from them, right? Mm -hmm. I was uh, very fortunate that my professor at the time, uh, Dr. Werner Koblet, knew all the pioneers in, in Oregon. David Lett, David Adelsheim, um, Dick Irath, Dick Ponzi, I mean, you name him, he knew him. And he gave me a list of people. And I called up David Adelsheim, had an interview with him. And my second one was, I called Joel Myers with wine tenders and he interviewed me at the Shiloh Inn in Newburgh. While Bill Clinton had to admit that he did something wrong in the Oval Office. <laughs> and he, he told me that uh, LaCroix, who owned Willa State, are looking for an assistant vineyard manager. So Joe Myers at that time was managing Willa uh, Kansas State as a part of his portfolio, mm-hmm. like he did Domain uh, Serene and other, other vineyards. And I was hired in September of 1998. In 99, I was promoted to vineyard manager, and I'm very thankful to Bernard and Ronnie Lacote to give me that chance. Somebody has to give you an opportunity. Somebody has to open a door to give you a chance to show what you can do. So, my first day at work, I was uh, working alongside the uh, Hispanic workforce, and. And they were probably wondering what the heck is the white right guy doing out here. And they were probably surprised that I can keep up with them. Mm-hmm. Because that's what I did in Switzerland. I worked in, in the vineyards, mm-hmm. physically. Mm-hmm. I also learned in my first two, three months uh, working alongside Joel's crew how hard of working people these are. Good, good people. There's just a core that's really solid. Mm-hmm. You know, they're family oriented, they're honest. They are are just a pleasure to work with. And that respect never waned in in the last 20 years. I respect them more than ever. So I stayed at Willa Kansas State for 11 years. Had a good time. I was able to, we were able to grow, add acreage, um, make some improvements, grow the brand, and it's not that I, I was always perfect, uh, by no means. I, you know, I had to learn a few things, uh, get used to the, the, the customs here.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, there are, there are written rules and, and unwritten rules, and sometimes I kind of violated some unwritten rules, and I apologize to all the people that <laughs> I, I own apology to. But I can tell you, when it was time to show up, I showed up. And uh, the overall performance was there I can't think that we ever had a milieu outbreak
3: mm-hmm.
2: never happened um, I was I was open to the sustainability idea because that's what we've done since the 80s and the whole guidelines of life were actually adopted from uh, Switzerland so I was very familiar with them but I also also questioned some of the the opinions I call them about sustainability. You know I I had discussions I remember I had discussions with my employer probably no two or three. We moved away from Roundup and from herbicide at all at that time. Mm -hmm. I had no problem doing so but it, it was not just a black and white proposition. It's not like controlling weeds mechanically is all good and, and herbicide are all bad, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. You, you think about the energy balance it takes. You know, you take an ATV, low impact, low, um, low compaction, fairly quickly, 1% solution of, of herbicide, or you have to run through with a heavy tractor, with, a, with an inroad cultivator, when the soil is still wet and you damage some irrigation lines, you're gonna kill some, some grapevines, and suddenly it's, it's not that clear anymore. Or you can do a combination. But I'm not a, I'm not a dogmatic guy, I'm more of a pragmatic guy. <laughs> you know. I hope that common sense prevails. Now, I'm also thankful that the La Cruz allowed me to pursue a dream of mine. Back in 1992, I went to the California State Fair in Sacramento and I saw my first longhorn there. And it was an aha moment, I tell you. I've I've never seen such a beautiful animal standing in a pen. When I came over here, some of the dreams that packed in the suitcase were I wanna own some land one day. That's not something I could do in Switzerland. Land is way too expensive over there. Either way, you inherit it or you win the lottery or something, but I want that, very tough. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't become available. I purchased uh, 50 some acres out here on Yamhill in the year 2000, and I had to, to stretch myself under the rafters with, with uh, the loan that I had to get, but it was all worth it. Now the cattle that I purchased, they lived at Willakenzie, and um, to this day we still have a cow herd there. Thank you to uh, Jackson Family Wines who um, bought Willa Kenzie in, I believe in 2016, and they allowed me to continue with the grazing license. Uh, the, cap, the cattle are happy over there, it's, it's ideal. It's, uh, it's heaven for cattle. So in, uh, oh, I also wanna mention, I had a, an opportunity to work uh, alongside some very good winemakers. Uh, initially it was uh, Laurent Montalieu, He was uh, the winemaker until 2001. Also the late Jimmy Brooks, Uh, had a good time with him. And then Thibaut Monday came along and and, uh, his assistant Dominique Maillet. And it it wasn't always an easy relationship and it never is an easy relationship between grape growers and winemakers. But I can tell you we always respected one another. In uh, and also at Willakenzie, I met my wife, and uh, she's a, she's a rock. I can tell you, she's a soulmate, and I'm so happy that she shares my passion for country life, and she shares my passion for this cattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Longhorns would not exist without Angelina. In 2009, 2010, I, I was kind of getting into a rut. Of you know, getting stuck, I thought I, I, I'm not going professionally anymore, the way I should in my early 40s. So I have to back up. 1997, I was attending a college, for a, a business college, and that was on Saturdays. Every day, I went to every Saturday. I went to school while I was teaching at the air college. And I remember I had an instructor and he said, guys, there's one motto in life, love it, leave it, oh, I'm sorry, love it, change it, or leave it. And I followed that motto all the way. Instead of complaining and, and not having the courage to change or do something about it, that's, um, I tell it to my employees as well. If they continue to be unhappy, I tell them, "You don't love it anymore. Let's see what we can change. If you're not capable of changing, you have options, right? I'd rather have you staying here, but love it, change it, or leave it, Mm -hmm. still counts. So, I was hired by Matt Novak, at that time president of Results Partners, uh, in the position of an operations manager. And uh, it was a real pleasure to work for him and also alongside Mike Kirsch, who was at that time the general manager. But Mike already decided that he will return to his family farm in Madras. So I knew that I could move up to general manager in a relatively short time. But that first season was very important for me to learn the ropes, how RP does business. Mm-hmm. You know, RP is in the business of customer service, first and foremost. And I, I didn't see it that way when I worked at Willa Kansas State. And, and today I would go about it in a different way.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: If I could rewind the time. So, and then in 2011, Matt was promoted to co-CEO of OBS, and I moved up to president in 2012. And then in short order, some very good people were hired. Evan Bellinger, Alex Cabrera, Luke Pedati, Lee Bartholomew, and we're talking some of the best in the business. And I tell you, if you ask me what's the, my best part of my job is is working alongside this team. They are a tremendous asset, and we really work together well and comp- um, complement each other's strengths and, and also weaknesses. Mm-hmm. I know where mine are, and I know where they're good at, and I, I put them right in, you know, in the in the job or position to take over mm-hmm. where I'm failing. But we're not only talking about the senior management rank. We also have. Uh, Uh, we call it the middle management rank, we have some very capable people there. And that's another one of my my joys in in my professional life. When I can see young people thrive, Mm -hmm. and you you see they have talent, they have a good education, but they have work ethics and grit. And it's like, wow, remember four years ago, he could barely walk straight, and now he's managing 500 acres, Mm -hmm. unbelievable. Mm And we're not done yet. So to give an opportunity to people who want to move up and grow, in order to do that you have to to the company. And we've grown the company quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people want to hold it against us, but they have to show to us first what we have failed. And we're managing vineyards between five acres in size and over 200 acres in size and they all matter to us. Every client matters. And I wanna bring the example. So we own about 60 head of cattle. Every once in a while we need the vet. I'm calling uh, Richard Weeman. And Richard Weeman is serving some big big dairies. Mm -hmm. Dairy farms with thousands of cattle. And he's a top-notch professional Now, I'm a relatively small fish in his pond. But when he shows up here, I know which is giving his best performance for the small guy right here. And that's how I want to do it for a a small vineyard owner. Exactly the same way. I give you 100%. It might be part-time, but we're always there and we make sure the results are there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another really nice side of, uh, of my job is I get in contact with so many people, so many characters. It's unbelievable. And I, it's, it's like the entertainment value is priceless. And I mean it in a positive way. I mean high-powered individuals, small people, they're coming from all walks of life. Isn't that the interesting part of, on, this, on this world that we, we can interact with other people who have other opinions and, and other experiences and we can share them? um it also gives me gives me satisfaction when i see that we can really help realize somebody's dream they come here to oregon they want to buy a piece of land convert it to a vineyard and we can be a part of that and we are involved from start to finish in a successful project Mm -hmm. that that is just a real pleasure And we're in the customer service business, as I mentioned. And I tell you, my definition of customer service is if I have your best interest, my client's best interest uh, at heart, not just in my mind, but also at Mm heart. And it could mean that the ideas you have, if they're really not the best, I mention it. I will give you the pros and cons, and you can choose where you want to go. But if people are walking down the wrong path, and we've seen it, and sometimes that's the frustrating part. We've seen people walking down the wrong path, and we wanna stop them with civil and legal manners. And they're still, they're ignoring us. And it's like, ah, that is frustrating. Mm -hmm. It happens every so often. So on the negative side, actually, some people think being president of the company could be a lonely position. Thank you. Thanks to my team, it's not. Mm -hmm. Thanks to the senior team, I never feel like I'm alone. I'm also hard pressed if I ever had to make a decision where I'm outvoted. four to one or five to one. But if it's a three to one or two to three, somebody has to decide at the end of the day.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ignorant. I listen to them and you know, I never claim that I'm the smartest guy in the room. I really don't. I know I'm not. But if you get the best out of the people working with you, I think I do a, a good part of my job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, negative. Sometimes you're dealing with some people who come into this business fairly green, but with a lot of ego. And. N- I'm not talking about even clients. I'm talking about some people who are put in a position and they have to justify their position and they want to raise their profile and they're really clunky clunky how they go about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know, I was young once and I thought I was invincible and I thought I have all the answers. And the older I get, the more questions I have and the fewer answers I have. And it doesn't even bother me. But when you have these young guns and they're kind of right in your face, that's when I can turn quickly and tell them, you know what, take a breather. Take a breather. Mm-hmm. Show me a little bit of respect. I'll show you respect as well. Or mm-hmm. well, start over. Let's introduce ourselves again. Rewind, five minutes. I've done it. Just a, a, a shot of humility is, is not a bad thing, mm-hmm. you know? When we have a good year, it's also a lot of luck. Okay? If you have a year without accidents, we have a lot of luck. And, uh, and the safety aspect sometimes weighs heavily on me. We have a lot of people out there mm-hmm. with a lot of equipment, thousands of hours on equipment. And not just flat ground, but steep and wet. And I'm thankful Thank- if everybody goes home at the end of the day in one piece. Mm-hmm. And if, if some things didn't go 100% right, I can accept it. I never said we are 100%, we are shooting for 100%, but if you get 90 or 90 plus, good enough. I want to see the perfect person yet. And you know, it's another thing, we heard oh so and so, oh they absolutely a superstar. In the RP world, you have to be very good, you have to be good, there are no superstars, none of us, none of us. But by working together, we are forced to reckon with. There's a lot of brain power and there's a lot of muscle. You combine the two, we have a force to reckon with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we are pushing each other. You know, we hire some, some really good people. And it's always a little bit of a kick in the pants, you know, it's like, uh, oh man, they're better educated, right? I mean, they're, as far as technology goes, they're a step ahead of us. Come on boys, come on girls! let's, let's kick it in another gear. Sometimes it feels like clients feel or think they, they have to, to point out a lot of the negative because we are too complacent. I can put their mind at ease. We are pretty hard on ourselves. And there's always room for improvement.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But we also need to realize that we're working with mother nature And sometimes she makes for a lousy business partner. In good years, we're not as good as we think we are. In bad years, we're not as bad as as somebody makes us look. That's that's agriculture. That's very basic. Mm -hmm. But if you haven't grown up in farming, that's... Some people don't understand that. They just don't. You know, they, they come with a spreadsheet and say, well, But look at my spreadsheet in year four, I put in three tons an acre. I said, yeah, you put that in, not me. I can help you to come up with a business plan, okay? Because we want you to succeed. Mm -hmm. But there could be a year like 2020. Who saw that coming? But I guarantee you, my dad always said, one in 10 years in the grape growing business, you have to expect very little or zero. It could be a hailstorm that's more prevalent in, in Europe,
3: mm-hmm.
2: or a, f- a deep freeze or something. And then when, that's when you go about it in a different way. You know, you have to put some money aside when times get really lean. Mm-hmm. You cannot expect that, well, we want to get better every year, really. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard that from a wheat grower or a, a, an apple grower or a sugar beet guy. Oh, we want to get better every year. Yeah, there's a difference that we are farming a perennial crop, right? Mm -hmm. We carry over the good and the bad from one season to another. If you do a lousy job in canopy management, we're gonna deal with it next year. Mm -hmm. That's the difference between a row crop farmer where it's an annual crop, he can plow that stuff under, he or she, whereas we are stuck with whatever we've done,
1: good or bad. So going back on what you talked about uh, earlier, um, I'm curious about the transition for you. First, you you talked about the differences between farming in Europe, farming in Oregon. I'm curious about that transition for you and and the kind of learning curve for you, and also the learning curve going from Willa Kinsey and and a single estate to RP where you're working with many different places, many different estates. So tell me about the your transition periods for me. Yes, the transition
2: from uh, Europe to to here for a vineyard of our size that we farmed, that our family farmed, uh, 25 acres, and for Swiss standard that was fairly large, we had a good level of mechanization. Mm-hmm. We had a hedger, we had a leaf puller, we had a shi- uh, shoot lifter for shoe positioning. We're talking about the 80s, right? Mm-hmm. Coming here, I felt like putting back in the early 70s, late 60s, some things that that were done the old fashioned way. Why? Because there was an an abundant labor force, right? Hmm. Labor was not an issue. Hmm. Absolutely, I mean, in the early 2000s, I didn't hear about labor being in short supply. If labor is not in short supply, you don't have to think about technical progress you don't have to think about mechanization. It sure is here now. Mm -hmm. And we are looking at every angle and every possibility to cut down on manual labor. Mm -hmm. We have to. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. We can be on the forefront as a vineyard management company. If our clients do not agree, if they don't want us to mechanically pick their grapes, then we just have expensive equipment standing around. Mm. So we have to do that in collaboration with our clients. Mm. And sometimes take down a few walls, educate them, and, and, and also look at the quality aspect. I mean, there's some, some mechanization, for example, hand hedging or mechanical hedging, there is no difference. There is no difference, right? That's widely accepted. Mm. Leaf pulling, depending what level of of grapes or quality level of grapes you you are targeting. Mm -hmm. But I believe Pinot Noir in the $2,000 range per ton cannot be hand-picked anymore. It's too expensive. You know that I do have the business side in me. I also have the business interest of the client on my mind. I understand if they're spending more with results partners than what they're making in grape sales, there's something wrong. Absolutely wrong. That's why we're also involved in helping them to grape, to sell the grapes at a decent price. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's also, you know, there's a vested interest right there. But I see why well, we talk about that later the challenges ahead of us mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. so number one is some of the farming methods that i felt like mm, there's a lot that could be done and that has happened in over over the last two decades and then i had to learn uh, spanish that mm-hmm. uh, came relatively easy um, i had latin in school so latin based language mm-hmm. not a problem mm-hmm. but i also had to You know, the Swiss are, although the land is neutral, we're not neutral, okay? I do have an opinion. Sometimes uh, people think I'm opinionated. I believe if you're in a leadership role, you have to take a stand. You have to stand for something. The worst you can do is just be kind of a washcloth, wishy-washy, and the people who, who, who are looking at you, they don't even know if you, if you exist. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, I, I implemented some, some things at Willa-Kenzie where I was told, well, you can't do that, we have done it. No problem, maybe not industry standard, I've done it. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, you you have to accept that there's a little bit of of friction. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would say the way I go on you, now you're gonna hate my guts. That's just the way it is, you know? But I I have a little bit of fighter mentality in me. I I grew up that way. Nothing was given for free. You have to work for it. You have to fight for it Mm -hmm. and You can, when I say fight, you can do that with peaceful means, right? I always say the other party is choosing the level of engagement. If they take the high road, my golly, I take the high road too. If they wanna play dirty, I also have it in me. And you know, I told uh, told the former CEO of OVS once, I mean, there's several ways you can win a game if you play soccer or a team sport, you know? I mean, the mean way is you take out the best player on the other side. Now, I'm not talking about a brutal foul where you break his leg, but you could hire him, right? Mm-hmm. just talking in, in business language now.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But you know, when f- people think it's not that competitive out there, it is competitive. You know, we're not the only game in town, and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I believe competition makes, makes everybody better. It keeps you honest, it keeps you on task. Mm-hmm. And I would like to you if I told you that we never lost a client. It happens. And it's not a good feeling. We take our losses seriously and and they hurt. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think our senior managers would say we don't celebrate our wins enough. But that's the Swiss in me. I'm somewhat of an amplifier. You know, I try not to take the lows too low, but then the highs are not to take as high either. Mm -hmm. I kind of try to cut the peak. So, um, the, the biggest adjustment when I joined R- R- RP was that, just the general idea of customer service. You know, I thought, man, I know how to grow grapes. You, can know, you know how to grow grapes. You could be the best in growing grapes and you still fail. If you don't understand, wait a minute. You're working for somebody else. Let's find out what their goals are. Maybe they want to make money. Maybe they want to have a beautiful vineyard. Maybe they want to have a high-scoring wine and see their name on their label. Let's find out what their goals are and work towards them. Maybe their idea of sustainability is way up on the priority list. And. I mean I learned I would say I learned quickly, but I made some mistakes as well in that first year. Mm-hmm. I was too much of a farmer and not enough of a service provider mm-hmm. so and then the other question was you you, you asked me about transition and then. You know, the good thing is when you, so I, I became president, we were at about 1,000 acres. Now we're farming 3,200 in the Willamette Valley. We are 300 acres in Southern Oregon. We just started in Walla Walla and the Gorge. We're probably combined 36, 3,700 acres. And for a lot of people, it sounds like, wow, It's, how can you keep everything straight? I don't have to. We have good people who help me to keep it straight. Mm -hmm. And you grow, and you can build up an organization, and you improve uh, procedures. But the most important thing are the people working for us. And when you grow, you can, as I said, you can afford to hire the best in the business. And then you can compensate them adequately too, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, I say well look look at the prestige. Well, the prestige doesn't pay the bills. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can tell you I took a pay cut when I joined RP. It wasn't very long-lived but I took a pay cut. And um, I wasn't worried about the prestige. I'm also not worried about my title. It doesn't that stuff doesn't mean much to me.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. Now I can also tell you when I have a superior, I have high expectations. I have high expectations in myself. You better be really good in what you do. Mm -hmm. Um, And otherwise, I'm going to be a pain in your neck. And there are some company commanders in Switzerland who could attest to that. Mm -hmm. I have always had more problems up than I had down. Mm But you know, I always said, if we ever had to go to, to battle, who am I going with? The soldiers behind me. And I see it still that way this, today.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And I don't mind being in
1: the trenches. So what do you look for when you are hiring people? And, and what do you do to develop the talent that you have? That is a good question.
2: Personally, I like farming background. It could be that they don't even know what a grape mine looks like. We can teach them that. But a general understanding about farming. Education helps, absolutely, but it's not everything. Um, we had guys with, with fancy degrees and, and they failed. Mm. And when people fail, I also look at myself, I look at our management what we could have done to prevent it, right? But there has to be, if you work for OP, you are not choosing the easiest life. We are are somewhat of a tough company to work for. We're working long hours, we stretch people, and some people like that. You know, I always say everybody has a ceiling, but if you get those people, As close to the ceiling as possible, man, we have done a good job. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, take on more responsibility, pay is following, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I don't want people to ask for raises. It is our job to recognize what the performance is and then offer a raise. Mm -hmm. I was taught that way. Dad told me, if you do a good job, people will compensate you the way you deserve it. And if you feel like you have to ask for raises, then you need to look at that company, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or you look at yourself, right? Um, I also believe that, back to my, the way I grew up, you need to understand and know the basics. If you wanna go in our company, we can't have holes in a foundation and the foundation is viticulture that includes operations that includes actually the task in the field Mm -hmm. if you tell me well i graduated from whatever so and so university with uh, magna cum laude whatever then um, and you want to be a manager on day one say okay uh, you know how to do this show me how to do that no how in the heck do you want to manage people I mean, how do you earn their respect Mm -hmm. if you can't do what you ask them to do? I mean, that's basic leadership. It doesn't work. And make no mistake, it doesn't matter how many years somebody went to school. We have some very small people. We have some very small people, and they grew up in Mexico. And I tell you, they, they ran circles around me in certain situations. And I was just like, wow, they know how to do something out of nothing. Mm -hmm. Just a natural talent. Mm -hmm. You know, call it common sense, call it street smarts. Now, the top-notch people, they can combine the the street smarts and the book smart, right? And those are the ones I want. Mm -hmm. But let's not eliminate common sense. And I found out, unfortunately, over the last 10 years, common sense is not the common anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes I'm just like, why why did that happen? Have you thought about gravity? <laughs> but I also flipped tractors once myself.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, maybe, yeah. You talked earlier about the, the relationship between the vineyard manager or vineyard side and the winemaker winery side yeah. and how it's kind of naturally a struggle sometimes. Tell me, tell me about getting used to that, first at Willa Kinsey and, and now dealing with, with many more winemakers and, and how you kind of navigate so that both sides are happy. Yes.
2: There's a, it's really interesting. There are some winemakers who they know quite a bit about growing grapes. The others, not so much, and vice versa. I mean, if you test my winemaking skills, I might disappoint you. <laughs> Where I come from, it, it goes back to the transition you asked me to, to explain, or the challenge of the transition. Mm-hmm. So in Switzerland, you know, when, you, when you're an apprentice and you learn how to grow grapes, there's also a winemaking part built into the education. It goes hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Most vintners in Switzerland, they're owner-operators. They grow the grapes, they make the wine, they sell the wine, all in one. Mm-hmm. If they have a problem, it's all internally, you know? It's like, huh, oh, winemaker, vineyard manager, it's all in one person. Mm-hmm. So when I came over here, I was, yeah, I was surprised by the rift. And the winemakers think that we are not flexible, and we think they don't get out of bed early enough. You know, it's just. Mm-hmm. But I respect what they do. They are also under a lot of pressure. They have to make a product that is selling, and you know, scoring high, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. My goal is that we can help them. listen. If I can make other people look good, I do my job. So, a year ago, pre-COVID-19, I said to my team, I want to take an active step to work together with winemakers much better. We created a group of five, six winemakers that I met once a month, and we talked about things that are going on in the vineyard so that they have a, a better understanding. or Also, if they have ideas, we can discuss it. We can discuss it on a table, and we don't ridicule it, we don't, uh, mm-hmm. we take it seriously, right? And we, we put some, um, not some bolts on that, on that idea. Mm-hmm. And vice versa. You know, I have questions about the winemaking, cost of goods. Because when I hear, oh, the, the grapes are too expensive, I, I got a little problem with that because I know what goes into a bottle of wine, what the gro- grape component is. Now, let's have a discussion and talk about the other costs of goods. Mm-hmm. So have a discussion what the sales side is costing or the marketing side, so that we are talking the same language, right? We on this together. Unfortunately, with COVID-19, yeah, you know, I don't need another Zoom meeting. We're gonna re- restart the conversation once the masks come off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, um, I very much respect the, the winemakers. Mm-hmm. And I also hope that they respect what we do.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And never forget, it's a compromise. You know, compromise for a lot of people is an ugly word. It's not for me. Whatever I do is, is a compromise, right? So you can wait for the perfect day. Say, well, I want to avoid soil compaction. We're going to wait, all right? And then you wait too long. You, you cultivate the soil. Now you have a nitrogen boost at the wrong time. And it could affect fruit set because there's nitrogen accumulation in the primordial cluster just burning them off, right? That can cost you your job. Mm -hmm. So I tell you I'm a decent farmer because I don't overanalyze, but I make, I claim I make good decisions on time rather than the perfect solution too late. Mm -hmm. That's another one of my mottos. And I tell, the, I tell the other guys, working for us, the same thing. You don't have to be 100% right all the time.
1: Just don't, don't be wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if, if, a, if a, new, a new client reaches out to you, to your company, um, tell me what the kind of process is for yep. getting to know, getting to understand the goals, and deciding if, if you're a proper fit, and, and what your role will be in their, in their work. Yes. So, my personal role in that one is relatively small, because we have Luke Pedardi,
2: who is the director of vineyard development, and he usually takes these potential new clients under his wings. Includes a site visit, a, a site evaluation, a cost estimate, and that all includes conversation about what are your goals. You know, we ask the question, what are you gonna do with the grapes? And some clients are like, why are we talking about grapes? We're not having, we have not even planted a vineyard yet. And we're like, well, that should be a part of the business plan, right? Eventually, the question is, you're gonna sell the grapes or you're gonna make wine for yourself or what's what's the deal here? Or do you need a winemaker who does the, the make the wine at his facility, kind of custom make side? So, you know, we tried to guide him along and, and um, we are doing the best job when we are 100% in charge of operations. That doesn't mean the vineyard owner doesn't have any input, just to be very clear. But operationally, where you can go sideways is if they say, well, you know, I have, I have a son who, who who can do the tractor work. or or I have an employee, I have a, a full-time employee, and he will do some of the vineyard work, that never or hardly ever goes well. We want clear responsibilities. Mm-hmm. We have clients who do the tractor work themselves. It's a minority, it's a very small number, but it's a clear delineation between their responsibilities and us doing the crew work. But it takes more communication. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're charging the full management fee if somebody is opting out and says they want to do a part of themselves because from a coordination standpoint, it takes more time and, and, and more resources. Mm-hmm. Because when we want to send a crew and the client wants to spray, well, that doesn't work, right? As an example. Mm-hmm. So we are very really clear about that. I tell you what, transparency, transparency, transparency. No surprises, no BS. I tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly, if you ask me. I'd rather have, and I, I, I turned business down, and I told that potential client, and he was a, I mean, talking from a profile, I'm a high-profile client, I said, you know, i rather disappoint you once, and it is now, than mm-hmm. month after month, mm-hmm. because I didn't see a path to succeed.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for a a company your size and and the growth you've had, what are the strengths that that has brought for you uh, and and what do you, that you can offer and what are are the weaknesses, what what does it take away? So under strengths, I could could mention a lot of them. We
2: have a lot of operational flexibility. When we have a tractor go down, as an example, we can replace that tractor in a hurry. You know, that job still gets done with different resources. If we need an extra boost in a sub-region, we can send a crew over there to help out. I mean, there's a lot going on like this. There's a lot of uh, redundancy. If, um, for some reason, if I re- didn't return to work tomorrow, or I, uh, after this interview, our uh, still exists. And they do quite well. We're not centered around a person, you know? We're centered around a team. We, we have procedures in place that, that are really solid. The, also, I wanna say, and this is the, the truth. If you're managing vineyards for RP, you deal with several different locations. You gain so much more experience than if you work in one location. I mean, it's almost like dog ears, you know? the ratio is one to seven I and mean, I'm not kidding you when people think well but if you're not here all the time then the vineyard is not taken care of no but I can tell you with the experience we have we can we can look at the vineyard and figure out in a relatively short time what's going on we don't have to walk the entire vineyard all day it's like hmm how do you feel today plant number 55 so that. That's the advantage of a vineyard management company. Our people are really flexible. And down to tract operators. You know, they're driving a New Holland one day, and the Kubota the next day, and the John Deere the third day. And they probably have a hard time if they had to go back to an state model where it's, it's more rigid, right? The same with our vineyard managers. They learn really quickly uh, to, to keep a lot of balls up in the air. So, yeah, I mean, if, if we have to compete with the state vineyard managers, I, I, I take them on any day. I really do. Mm-hmm. So, our strengths, we are, I mean, we are a full service deal, full service. You live at the other end of the world and we take care of your vineyard, you don't have to worry about anything Except sending us a check. Um, we take it seriously. I, I actually put a little bit of my heart in it too. More than a, a little bit. But I also want to know that the vineyard owners are in it. So, you know, if I, if I have questions and we have to make a decision, a timely decision, and I don't hear back. Then I'm wondering, well, first of all, it's like, okay, I can remind them, no problem. But if it's just silence, then I start wondering how important that vineyard is to them. And I mean, let's let's match the intensity level here, you know? Mm -hmm. The other thing is, by moving our people around. And we, don't, we do it in sub-regions, you know, they're not, we have tractor operators that are working in probably three locations, right? But if we needed them somewhere else in, a, in an emergency, sure, they can hop on another tractor. But they're also not becoming territorial. You know, it's like, well, this is my garden, don't step in it. The garden is big for us.
1: There's room for everybody. So for you and, and, and your team here, um, when you're, how do you judge a vineyard or a potential vineyard site? What, what are you looking for in a site that is going to be cultivated and what do you look for in a, an existing vineyard that you're taking over when it comes to, to if you want to work with it and, and how you'll handle it once you do work with it? We are, in general we're not too
2: picky. I can tell you I took on a vineyard that was in very poor shape. But I knew why, and it was relatively easy to revive the vineyard and make it look quite good over two seasons. And the client thinks we are magicians, and we are not. It was fairly simple. Mm-hmm. So it actually has more to do with the, if the personalities between clients and us is clicking, a general understanding how we operate, mm-hmm. you know that we don't have... Although, in est- we also are farming estates. where well, we have people there all the time. Mm-hmm. But on a 20-acre vineyard, we can't park somebody there uh, 100% of the time, it would break the bank. It would, it would, the budget would go out the window in a hurry, okay? Um, but that's something that some people have to get used to. Well, you go in there when it does work? Yes, that's why we are able to keep the cost at a certain level that makes sense economically, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, sure we look at aspect, we look at soil type, we look at elevation, I mean all the good stuff that you heard from others as well, right? Mm
3: -hmm.
2: But uh, the human factor is very, very important. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not, I tell you, we're not the best salespeople. I'm not, okay? But I, I want to be transparent, I want to be honest. That is, that is such an integral part of how I want to live my life. Um, I, I just, I can't handle BS. I tell you what drives me nuts. When we order parts or material and we have to follow up. We don't hear nothing from the vendor, right? Anything. When I was going to be here? Tomorrow. Yeah, I heard that before. Tomorrow turns into two weeks, okay? Mm -hmm. You know how it is in Europe. They will tell you two weeks and you're going to be like, but it's the the honest answer. You're going to deal with it. You will find a way around it. You will make it work. But this tomorrow, 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 they tell you what you want to hear. I don't, want it. I don't want that. You know when I call a venue manager and after I'm looking at the site, it looks a little hairy, I call him up and I say, hey, when do you think we have a crew here to lift wires or to shoot position? Oh, uh, uh, tomorrow. I said, no, no, no. Just, this is a question. How does it fit in your schedule, in your plan? When are we gonna have a crew here? Be honest, four days okay that works if it doesn't work I tell him said you need to reject the whole thing but they don't have to give me what I want to hear just because I'm the president it
1: doesn't make any sense right you talked earlier about uh, the kind of the sustainability factor and it varies from vineyard to vineyard tell me about uh, in terms of your practices, what's the, what's the level? How, how, how far up the, the, the organic biodynamic scale do you
2: go yep. when working vineyards? So you need to know that we are a a la carte service. The client tells us what level they want to achieve. So we're farming. Actually, a minority of our acreage is conventional. We have a, a high percentage of sustainable acreage. We have certified organic acreage. We have biodynamic acreage we do whatever the clients wants us to do.
1: (laughs) Customer service, right? When it comes to to those, have you seen a a major shift in your time at RP for people asking for sustainable organic biodynamic? There's a, yes.
2: There's a clear movement away from herbicides and there's probably a point. I have to say. I mean listen, if I see moss that thick underneath wine rows, I question if that, if that soil is really healthy, okay. I mean repeatedly herbicide after herbicide and, and too high of a concentration at the wrong time. So I, I see that. I have no problem to uh, find alternatives, you know, if it's mechanical cultivation or you name it or just keep mowing. Hmm. So there's a there's a trend towards uh, more actually away from from chemicals and more towards uh, sustainable farming practices. Hmm. Now here's here's a, a question and, and I raised that before with other people. We we're talking about sustainability and our crews have to hoe. Yeah, it's tough work, Mm -hmm. it's tough work. I can't lose sight of that. That's when it becomes really, really, really muddy. It's not black and white, Mm -hmm. it's gray. And when you don't see it, you know, when you are far apart from the action, Mm -hmm. you never think about that. And it's my obligation to raise that concern. So, So we have crews out there, right? I have to think about their back. I wanted to live a long life and happy life, right? They're not disposable,
3: mm-hmm.
2: they're people. And I, yeah, mm-hmm. opinionated, sure.
1: <laughs> so you talked about um, uh, kind of getting hired at RP and, and, and becoming the president fairly, fairly quickly after that. T- take me through what a typical day or week or month <laughs> looks like for you. Obviously, I know you've got a lot going on. So tell me, what is it, what is kind of your day-to-day, week-to-week look yeah. like? So I expected the question. I thought about it. <laughs> I can
2: tell you, I wake up in the morning, I have no idea what's coming my way. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, I have, I have a list of things to do, and I prioritize A, B, C. A, it needs to happen today, and B, soon, C, when I get to it. And then it can, it can be a lot of things. So I do spend some time at the office. You know, it, it involves more admin work than what I was used to uh, before I became president. That's just the nature of, of the beast. And it's not the most rewarding part of the job, by the way. You know, when you, when you choose agriculture as a career, the, the most pleasure I'm getting out of is when you see the results of your labor. At the end of the day, Man, I ploughed a field. Look at that. But I mean, let's be realistic. You know, um, I'm also in a different income level. Well, you have to delegate, and and sometimes I have to do the tough jobs, right? Involved in HR. Um, I don't like to terminate people, but it's also part of my job.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And on the other side, the, the hiring part, yeah, that's the more um, enjoyable mm-hmm. side. Um, I mean I have client meetings. Yesterday I met with a winemaker. I also have to report up the chain. I work on some financials with the help of Deborah Leitner, our business manager. Uh, It can be a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it varies from season to season. I mean from growing season, you know, winter time. I still have clients myself, so I do some estimating. I do I review invoices. But also, I want to be available when people have issues. The door is always open. If somebody calls me, and it can be, and sometimes it's probably to a default. Somebody calls me and says, Hey, I want to talk to you. Sometimes I say, Hey, have you talked to your supervisor first? Yes. Okay. All right. When do you want to meet? Now I want to be available. Mm-hmm. I'm not on a high horse. I don't belong there. But it's it's important, you know? Mm-hmm. Independent of how big the company is,
1: we, we want to be approachable. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Um, so as Results Partners has grown, we talked about this a little bit off camera. Obviously, um, you're kind of a big fish now in, in the in the industry when it comes to vineyard management. Tell me about, Reputation of results partners and what, what you what you want it to be and, and what you've what you have to overcome with other people's perceptions of your work. Yes. Our
2: reputation has improved. I know that for a fact. I mean we have a VIT department now and and we can really dig deep on the viticultural side if that's what clients want us to do. And Lee is heading up that that department, best in the business by far. We have a Jessica, uh, she's the the viticulturist. I mean, she's a superstar. I mean, she's very good. Before we were uh, lacking a little bit of uh, attention to detail. Uh, That's one thing that I stress with the vineyard managers. You know, we have to pay attention to detail. But it also, it ha- kind of has to match where clients want to be in terms of expenses. When we are farming a production vineyard, they're shooting for high tonnage, but they're getting 2,000 a ton for Pinot Noir. That vineyard has to be farmed differently than a high profile, you know, a high reputation vineyard. Mm-hmm. And we, we accomplish this by creating cost estimates that reflect the different tiers And then we convert it into metrics, how many hours we can spend on each task, Mm -hmm. and how many managers are making sure it happens within those metrics, most part. So we have gotten better um, to kind of differentiating the different vineyards Mm -hmm. and and farming practices. Mm -hmm. Certain size, we Personally speaking, you know, I could be somewhere every day, well, not not during COVID-19, but somewhere in a social event, right? I mean, every evening I could go somewhere, but I also want to have a private life. I believe that people who can recreate, create. And when everything becomes one, you know, we're already on the job, not 24 hours a day, but for quite a while.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean I, my day starts at five o'clock. That's when I get a lot of stuff done. Nobody calls me yet. Emails are rolling in already from video managers. And, um, and I, I check email before I go to bed, right? Mm-hmm. That's just how I choose how to, to kind of um, go about my, my workload. Mm-hmm. But I can also tell you that our social circle, my wife and mine, there are some people from the wine industry, but not that many. And I do it on purpose. I want a little bit of separation. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. The last thing I want to do is on a Saturday night to talk about wine and grapes and this and that. Okay? Then I rather talk cattle or we play games. That's all good. But that's how I I can charge and recharge my batteries. Mm -hmm. And if I owned the company, I understand that would be different. Well, it's all one. Mm -hmm. I have to show up at that shindig, and I have to go and show my face over there. The advantage we have is there are five of us who can represent the company. I am not the face or the only face of our company to the outside. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Thankful for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the communication within, within your company. Obviously you, you have, you, you mentioned kind of the tiers of, of management and mm-hmm. middle management. Uh, tell me about how you are checking in on all these different vineyard sites, all these different vineyard managers, all this different work that's going on on a daily basis. Yes, so
2: I can be the client manager for certain vineyards and then I have a vineyard manager who is making sure that things are happening. So he's in charge of equipment operations and the crew work. And I check in, I look at different, you know, look at the the vineyard overall, I have maybe a few questions. Um, But operationally, it's really in the hands of our venue managers. And then they have certain crew supervisors. They have equipment operators mm-hmm. to work with. Mm-hmm. And, and then also we work with the VIT uh, department closely. And we work with the service department closely. So we have an in-house service department. And they're repairing our equipment and client-owned equipment. Mm-hmm. So we're really self-contained as much as we can. And you know, then you're in the driver's seat, right? If you rely on, on third parties, it's always tough. Mm-hmm. Same with vineyard development. We used to use outside service providers. And our timelines and the budgets went sideways in a hurry. Now, we, uh, we do all the clearing work in house. We do the, the layout, we do the, the deer fences, everything. Mm-hmm. We install irrigation, we even, um, <coughs> and that's that's in Luke's department. He is the general contractor for barn buildings or pond construction. I mean, it's it's really a mm-hmm. one-stop shop. Mm-hmm.
1: We talked a couple times today about about mechanization and labor, and I know it's, yes. a, it's a, obviously a big concern of yours. Um, we've big heard time. we've heard often the, <coughs> the the labor is getting more scarce, more difficult to, to find, obviously getting more expensive. Tell me about the changes you've seen in mechanization in Oregon and, and the kind of the acceptance of it and, and what you see as you look ahead for the future of labor and, and mechanization in the vineyard. Yes. So
2: when I started at RP in 2010, we didn't own a single hedger for 700 acres producing. We, any, probably made sense at that time. But that was the first thing we changed. Hmm. We, we purchased a hedgehog and then we really uh, picked up the pace coming from the stone age to, to modern times. <laughs> in 2013, we rented a machine harvester and Luke Pedardi was really instrumental in, in that. I mean, he came over from winemakers where they were already machine harvesting all their acreage or most of them. So in the meanwhile, we have five machine harvesters, um, we tried wire lifters, you know, we, we look at new equipment coming in, we tried the Klima, um, you know, the, the, the piece of equipment that removes the canes, the, the pruning canes, that will be in the near future for us to probably purchase one. Um, we, we played around with our machine harvesters during the growing season uh, to, to be multifunctional, mm-hmm. You know, where we can hedge, you just change the head. Instead of the um, machine harvest head, you have a spray head on it, or you have a hedger on it, and you can attach a mower. But we are not, yeah, it gets a little tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, you're putting a lot of hours on an expensive, very expensive machine that to this day you can also do with a much less expensive tractor, but there's no doubt. Labor is gonna go up, and there are fewer people in the field, we have an aging workforce that we often ignore. Um, You know, people cannot work faster every year. You know, just because the costs are going up doesn't mean that now we just work a little bit faster to keep the dollar amount the same. It's not gonna happen. So that that scale is tipping in in favor of mechanizing. Mm Now we have to be realistic. A lot of the vineyards are not set up for machine harvest. The trellis is not set up. The headlands are not set up. There's not even a loading zone to load grapes on a semi. And the same goes for wineries. There are a lot of wineries that cannot receive grapes delivered on a commercial sized truck, on a, on a semi truck. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole, it's not just the idea of machine picking, but there's logistically a whole chain reaction following, right? Mm-hmm. Now when we develop a vineyard, in most cases we set it up for uh, machine harvest. Even you know, slope is not, it's not exclusive. We, we pick grapes on pretty steep, I was surprised and kind of, yeah, almost scaled. <laughs> um, but it's it's everything else. Where you turn, um, can you bring in a, a, a good-sized truck?
3: So mm-hmm.
2: the acceptance has risen, has gone up, and it always takes a few pioneers, right? And the pioneers are first. They, they take some heat, and when it works out, there's some envy. Um, but it takes people who who really, Joe Myers, mm-hmm. you know, 2007. Mm-hmm bought a machine harvester the industry was not ready yet Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: although he was on the forefront he saw this whole thing coming Mm -hmm. but that's why it's important that we in collaboration with the clients find solutions Mm -hmm. we can't shove the machine harvester down their throat and then the other growing regions you know where they uh, Uh, you look at Washington, certain areas in California, it's minimal touch, minimal hand touch. It's all box pruned. They are shooting with equipment. Um, Very, very few man hours, maybe 40 per acre Mm -hmm. versus 180. It's, uh, but it's gonna be painful. Mm -hmm. It's gonna be painful and we have to be honest about it. And you know, on this note, when a client says, well, we need to lower costs, mm-hmm. okay, we bring them solutions. We bring him options. But then they say, well, I don't think so-and-so winemaker will accept that. Well then, what else do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, I tell you, farming grapes, it's not that hard. Farming grapes for other people, not that easy. <laughs> Because, you know, there are other parties involved, right? Uh It's not just what I want. Uh I can, my ego is not that big. I can overcome that. But we need to listen to to the clients. But we have, overall as an industry, we have not made enough progress to push this whole idea of mechanization forward. Uh I think we're gonna see a lot more, like a steeper, distribution of classes of vineyards, some high production, low cost. There's nothing wrong with that. They're the ones who are making actually a little bit of money. And then you have the high tier, super expensive stuff, you know, small blocks, steep, high density, um, just tough to Mm farm. But if the quality of the grapes is commanding all that, let's put it that way, if the quality of the grapes makes an outstanding wine and they can sell it at a price that all makes sense, no problem. But the ones in between are the, the, the problematic
1: ones mm-hmm. that I feel have a, a tough future. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So what do you think that, that future looks like, the, specifically the future for vineyard work, for, for, for labor, for mechanization? What will Oregon's vineyard life look like in a decade from now? In a decade from now,
2: uh, hand-picking will be a luxury. It was still happening, but it will only happen for, let's say, $60 plus. Just to give you a Mm -hmm. reference point. tough question it's a tough question Mm
4: -hmm.
2: I think high density and when I say high density we're talking about six feet or under vine space row spacing it's gonna go away Mm -hmm. and the ones who who are there I mean we keep farming somehow but what we plant new we're not going under six feet Uh, under under seven feet Mm -hmm. I stay corrected Okay, that's one point where we really dig in our heels a little bit, you know. We had a client, or have a client, and he has a consulting winemaker. I grabbed that client, uh, not not physically, but told him to follow me to the kitchenette (laughs) and said so-and-so, just believe me on this one, trust me, you don't want to plant under seven feet. We're setting this up for the next 30 years. It would be irresponsible of us to recommend that we're going whatever the the idea was, one meter by one meter. Although it's more work for us, right? And more work for us means more revenue. But that's where honesty comes in. And he followed our advice. Thank you. Because I wanna, you know what? I wanna go to bed at night and when I brush my teeth, look in the mirror and and live with that. Mm -hmm you know, and be able to lay down and and get a good night's sleep. Mm -hmm. And when we we start deviating from that, I'm probably not with the company anymore, if you ever do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not changing companies very often, I really don't. But I want to stand behind the outfit I'm
1: working for Mm -hmm. and and be able to identify myself. So we talked a lot about, about the changes you've seen in Oregon viticulture specifically. What, what are the, you, you talked earlier really about the kind of the challenges ahead. What, what are, in addition to what we just talked about, what are the other challenges ahead for viticulture specifically and, and that you just see on the horizon for Oregon wine in general?
2: Yes. Um, so we talked about labor and that could, that could fill hours of discussion. Grape prices have not really gone up. In quite a while while the bottle prices have gone up substantially. Somebody needs to explain that to me. I don't get it. You know, there was a rule quite a while ago when I started working here there was a rule of bottle price times 100 equals the tonnage price. So a 20 bottle, $20 bottle would translate into $2,000 a ton. You know how many wines are selling now for, well, retail, and, and and I understand that the winery folks would tell me, well, not everything sells at retail. I get it, but three thousand a ton, thirty-five, four thousand a ton should not be unheard of, mm-hmm. and three thousand is is doable, right? But four thousand, it's it's kind of the exception now, while the f- the farming costs have gone up. Mm-hmm. And they're thinking, RP oh, is raking it in. Well, I, I'd like to show them a graph that shows minimum wage. And we're not paying our people minimum wage. They don't even show up for minimum wage. Hmm. You know, the unofficial minimum wage is always $1. fifty higher than, than where we are. Hmm. So, and then it's not just, as you know, it's not just the pay on the check. You have payroll taxes. You have insurance. You have, oh my gosh, goodness, you can add easily. 15, 16%, and then on the, on the permanent staff, we just did the math the other day, 38% overhead with health insurance, with 401K, vacation, holidays, and I gladly pay it. I gladly pay it if the performance is good and the attitude is good, you know? People think I'm judgmental, yes. I do judge, I judge by attitude, and performance. I do not judge by skin color. I don't judge by education. I don't judge by gender. It all comes down to what do you stand for? What are you made of? Not where you come from. What are you made of?
1: I like it. That, that must, be, uh, it must be interesting going through the industry that way. You must, uh, must have some interesting stories. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we talked about the, the pandemic a, a couple of times already. Uh, yes. Tell me about how COVID uh, changed your, kind of your work life and, and what you had to do with the crews especially, and, and what you think has changed in the industry um, during the pandemic that may stay after, the, after, after we come out of it. What, 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 what changes have come that might stick around? Yes. I tell you, I mean, it has been a challenge for all of us.
2: I personally, I miss having everybody all together. Well, I have a chance to tell them a few things, you know, what's going well, what doesn't go well. I miss that part that I really feel that's taken away from me. Mm -hmm. And I I also, I enjoy that part.
3: Mm
2: And that's, that's a tool that, that's so important to me, you know? It's not the same when I go from, from one crew to another, or I talk to people one-on-one, although that, that matters too. And I just, just the sheer fact that we have to cover up, you know? You can't read people's faces anymore. Mm-hmm. Body language, that is a little bit of a challenge for me. The, the, the Zoom meetings, yeah, but it's not the same like in person, mm-hmm. absolutely not. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much outside of the verbal communi- communication going on that, that you can read into or, or read between the lines. And, and I think that's important mm-hmm. when you're de- you know we're dealing with people, right? Um, yeah we had a lot of, as you know, we had a lot of uh, uh, additional requirements, you know, uh, bathrooms, more, double up on bathrooms, mm-hmm. uh, hand sanitizers, all this and that, and just to explain that to people, to our workers. Hey, please, you know, I understand, you know, the Latin uh, culture is different than the Scandinavian culture. Um, Scandinavians are happy not to hug. Hispanics, they will, not, they will never go away, right? They're just more kind of warmer warm people. Mm-hmm. So it must be hard for them too. We had a few cases who, who had COVID, you know, we had to make sure we follow protocol. The ones who were exposed, yeah. I mean, I was really worried, I tell you, I was really worried how harvest will go. And all in all, we fare quite well as as far as people go, it's Not not in terms of yields and, and the smoke. Huh? But when you have entire crews not showing up, which could have happened, then you're really in a pickle. So I, I wonder if you ever go back to shaking hands. but. You're talking about when, I, when we hire people, I want to shake somebody's hand. Mm-hmm. I want to see if, if they have, you know,
3: mm-hmm.
2: a little bit of a grip to it or, or just another washcloth. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're an egg, you better have a grip to it.
1: Mm-hmm. I want to, yeah. <laughs> I like that, I like that. Um, you mentioned the fires, obviously, uh, a, whole other, a whole other thing to deal with in, in 2020. Uh, tell me about that. Tell me about re- reacting to that and preparing people to work during that situation. Yes. That, um,
2: so, we were picking three, four days after the fires broke out. It was a Friday, and we heard that some competitors decided not to pick to make a statement. Okay, I told our senior managers, it's not even up for discussion. RP is gonna pick. And here's what we do. We give everybody a a, a KN95. We make it a requirement for the full-time employees. We can't make it a requirement for the contract laborers. But a highly recommendation, high recommendation to wear them. We're gonna pick what we need to pick, call it the day go home instead of taking on another four hours doing something else, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I personally spoke with a few guys, contract labels. I said, so are you opposed to picking? No, if you guys don't pick, we go somewhere else. We're gonna work somewhere else. Okay. Well, then we'd rather have them work for us, somewhat in a controlled environment. And here's another thing. You know, when, when COVID-19 broke out, we were considered essential business. I made it very clear that during harvest, we are very essential business. If the wineries want us to pick, and the vineyard owner expects us to pick, guess what we're doing? We're picking grapes. And there's another um, side note. I was thinking about the legal implications. If we let that stuff hang a few more days, and now the winery says, uh, smoke taint, sorry guys. It could fall on us, mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: but I understand and I heard that on social media, you know, that some pictures showed up and, and it's like, how can you risk the life of, of these people? Mm-hmm. I can also tell you that this guy was out there with the people for the entire duration of the pick every day. And the same thing for our senior managers. We were not hiding inside an office. We were not hi- hiding inside a, a cab with uh, the um, air conditioning on, we were out there with the people. And I can stand it behind it 100%. If somebody has a problem, come to me.
1: Was there, did you feel that it was, you mentioned a tough harvest for a number of reasons. Did you feel like it was a successful harvest in, in, that, in that regard? Oh, that's, it's, it's very hard to,
2: to associate success in 2020, <laughs> especially Harvest. I mean, it was, it was miserable picking for the people. The clusters were tiny, it was slow. I felt bad, but I can also tell you, I was more than on one day, I was picking alongside the crew. And you can say, well, that's not the president's job. On that day, it was. Other than standing there and looking pretty, I thought, you know what, I'm gonna pitch in. And that's how you motivate people. And I can also tell you, we had some tractor operators standing around the trailer, talking to one another. And I thought, I wonder how long it will take before they catch on. It took me about eight buckets. And that was in 2010, in 2020, there was probably an hour of picking. I kind of got a little mad. I walked outside and I said, guys, what's wrong with this picture? I'm probably the only white guy picking grapes in the county, and I gladly do it. But I only do it if you help. Mm-hmm. You can grab buckets, you can help out the pickers, save them a little time, save them a little energy, but if you keep talking, mm-mm, this guy stops picking. And I handed them a clipper, go to work. Mm-hmm. That was the end of that story. <laughs> and when I showed up, everywhere else, the world already traveled. Mm-hmm. But you can only do it if you do it yourself, mm-hmm. okay? And they can't even be mad at me. You know what my nickname is?
1: The Swiss Hammer. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> I love that, I love that. So looking back at your time uh, at, at McKinsey and at RP, do you have particular favorite memories, favorite moments, favorite things that you've, that you've done, accompli- accomplishments you've had that, that you look back on particularly fondly? Yeah, a a lot of them. I mean,
2: I can tell you that every day I make an effort to smell the roses. If the roses are not blooming, it could be wildlife that I see. You know, bald eagles flying over, or a deer, or elk grazing. I mean, it's a beauty that we get out and about so much. You know, we we see a lot of Yamil County or Marion County and Polk County. or a funny sign on a, on a gate mm-hmm. of a property. You like, well, this is hilarious. And I really believe if you can't enjoy those small things anymore, we're in deep trouble. In general, not just, not just me. So I, I love to be outside. I, I love nature. Um, sure, you know, if I see a beautiful crop hanging, I feel good about it. But I also know that it takes a lot of people to make that happen. That's not me. That's not my job. It's not my work. It's our uh, fruit of labor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I know kind of my place, you know, that I'm not, I'm not. the world does not evolve around me.
1: You know? I hope I'm a piece of it, although a small one. What about as you look ahead for yourself uh, personally? What, what, what comes next for you? I want to do this a few more years
2: Uh, and full throttle Mm -hmm. I mean pedal to the metal a few more years and then I hope that when everything is said and done after my days at our PR over that when people say well he has done for he has done well for himself they will also say but the same goes for the people around him. Mm-hmm. That is important to me.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And that does not include only senior managers. It includes everybody who works at RP.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I hear plenty of times, oh, so-and-so has really done well for himself or herself. And I'm like, yeah, but he came at the cost. Mm-hmm. Other people didn't do so well, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, not to become philosophical, but um, we are fairly small in this world, you know, and I can't reverse climate change. I mean, I can do a few things. I can't solve the social issues we're having. Um, But we have a little bit of an impact in our immediate surroundings. Mm -hmm. If I can make their life a little bit better, if I can provide opportunities to our workforce, and they can improve their lives. That's what I see the positive mm-hmm. progress should be like, mm-hmm. you know, rather than handing out a fish, we teach them how to fish. Mm-hmm. That's, I'm a strong believer in that, you know, otherwise um, when people get used to handouts,
1: bottomless. You talked also about the, about the changes at RP and your recent expansion into the Gorge, into Walla Walla, Southern yep. Oregon. What's, why is ahead for the company? What, what, what's next for RP? Yeah,
2: I believe we're gonna grow in, uh, in Walla Walla quite a bit. We're gonna add a few acres in, in the Gorge. The Red Mountains are not out of reach. Yes, we're on, we on, uh, on a growth pattern. But again, that should not be a concern for clients in the Willamette Valley. We put people in place, excellent people. The guy you hired, or we hired, Nick Mackey in Walla Walla, top notch, top notch. They take ownership. We guide them, we support them, we help them with some, you know, what we know, what we learned. He's a quick learner. I, it's gonna be it's gonna be uh, exciting to see mm-hmm. where we can take this mm-hmm. and I know that competition out there is a little bit nervous now It took us a while too. it was it was not an easy going you know mm-hmm. you know it's easy to say well as we heard many times from you know that would be good if you guys come to town but to take that step and actually signing contract with us that's a whole different story right and it took one client out there to have the courage to do that and us doing a good job. And now, now the flywheel is actually gaining some momentum.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. I believe we, you know, moderately grow in the Willamette Valley, moderately. I, if I had to tell you percentage-wise, three to five percent maybe, mm-hmm. Southern Oregon. Um, Probably a little bit less, um, they have been hammered with fire season after fire season, you know that not the first time they dealt with smoke that that hurt the region overall as a as a reliable source for grapes, mm-hmm. unfortunately, mm-hmm. and grape prices are lower. I still don 't quite understand how that happened um, but it's it's a challenge you know when the grape prices are so low that That there's not much left in the pocket of the vineyard owner, then uh, it's not a sound business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't mention yet challenge of economics on the winery side. Pre-COVID-19, 60% of wineries not being profitable. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. That's a serious problem. You know, you always hear, "Well, the the wine business is thriving." Yeah, but at one point you have to make profit, you know. Mm. The same here. And I'm not, profit to me is not an ugly word. It's a necessity if you want to stay in business. Mm. And I, you know, I, I like numbers. I like the business side of, of RP. I, I, I really, I was longing for that. You know, well, it's coming all, it's coming to full circle. It's not just the the grape growing side and and providing a service. But run a profitable business, not that easy. So growing grapes, not that hard. Making wine, not that hard. Selling wine, very difficult. And running a profitable business, also difficult. Mm-hmm. And I'm not downplaying the, the grape growing, okay? Don't get me wrong here, All the winemaking. But I understand the challenges of, of um, you know, such a, I mean, we have a lot of wineries, we have a lot of different labels. I think we need to experiment a little bit outside of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. I really think so. And I, I once mentioned with the senior management team, you know, it was so often I challenge them, and I, I go in just with a two by four. And I said, you know, it doesn't make much sense that we are growing organic grapes and we choose the most sensitive varietals, like Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. You know, they're the most susceptible to powder mildew. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're going, and we want to... It doesn't make much sense if we are spraying organic grapes 14 times and conventional grapes 6 times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. And there... So, I did my thesis on interspecific grapevine varietals. Okay? So the hybrids and they are more disease resistant. Now we have a few coming on here.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You see Davis came with a few. I understand the wine quality has to be there in order to produce a commercial sellable product. Mm-hmm. I get that. But Germany, for example, is way ahead of the game. They have a lot of different vitals that that you hardly have to spray against downy mildew or powdery mildew, and the wines are good. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of potential there. You know, if if you're a client and you say to me, well, I really want this vineyard to be unique. Okay, let's go Pinot Noir. I mean, there are many ways you can be unique, hmm. um, but that's probably one of them that you you bring some other
1: variables in the mix, hmm. also with climate change. You know. You mentioned climate change a couple of times. Uh, what 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 have your what have your what have you noticed? And, and what do you what do you see? What's what's happening there? Ah, that, yeah, that's, it's a good question. <laughs> um, I think
2: like every, every citizen, it, you wonder if the, these severe weather events have not multiplied. More tornadoes, more hurricanes, more damage. But I'm also, I'm a little bit torn, to be honest. I understand that we, humanity, contributes to, to the emissions. You know, the, the heat trapping emissions. I get that. But there was an ice age where man didn't have any impact. So I, I can't ignore that, right? Mm-hmm. I, th- I also think that, that sometimes it gets uh, uh, politicized, unfortunately. Um, you know, fossil fuels, can we replace them all? Show me. If you have a grid that breaks down in Texas, Doing an ice storm, uh, you can take on uh, several million uh, cars, electric cars, and see what it does then. I mean, Definitely. but we have smaller people than me to figure that out. But I tell you, I shall sure hope we can, we can pass on this world to the next generation and be as good of a place as it is today, and hopefully better. I have seen in Switzerland, well, waterways were polluted in the 60s. They got it cleaned up quite well. It is, it is possible, you can do it. But it takes an effort. It can't be done.
1: That's all the questions that I have for you. Is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we didn't cover here today? That we no. Should cover? um, Covered?
2: Just uh, another motto of mine, the safest place for a ship is in the harbor, but that is not what it's built for. I told my parents that when I left, and um, I think nowadays they understand, you know. I could have never done, accomplished over there what I've done here on my own, without the connections that I would have had over there, you know, uh, relationships that were, I had to, to work for it myself and um, I'm proud of that fact, but I'm also fortunate. I'm more fortunate that people gave me opportunities and sometimes gave me second chances or third chances. I mean, we all need that once in a while. If we had written off after the first, I wouldn't be anywhere. So yeah, no, it was a pleasure. and.
1: Uh, Here you have it. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time today, for your hospitality, for this amazing (laughs) setting we've never had before for an interview. And we'll go ahead and let you off the hook. All right.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. Special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have assisted on our oral history interviews.